Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. My guests today are Mark David Pinate and Wesley Cree. Mark David Pinate is the producing director of Borderlands Theater and director of the upcoming performance Barria Stories. Wesley Cree is a scenic designer for Barria Stories. Hello. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Thanks for coming. This seems like it's an unprecedented theater performance. Tell us about it. How did you get involved with it? I arrived here with my wife, Milt Ortiz, that also runs Borderlands with me a little over two years ago. And uh, I think within two or three weeks of arriving, I was, was near the convention center with someone who told me, hey, do you, do you know the history of behind this do you know the history behind this spot? And you know, I said no, and he proceeded to tell me. And then, within a, you know the next couple months, I had heard that same story a few times. And you know, at the end of that story was always like, "Oh, that's so messed up," and you know, and then you just kind of move on. What else can you do? What is that story? The story is that there was a neighborhood there um, prior to the convention center, the Tucson Community Center, it was as it was first called. A neighborhood that had been the original Mexican-American enclave or barrio since the mid-1800s. It was filled with shops and uh, you know different stores and the plaza theaters. And it's really an epicenter of commerce, of community celebrations that was very unique and the most densely populated area in Tucson. And uh, in the name of urban renewal was, was removed, was bulldozed uh, in 1967, 68. And, you know, the ways that that happened... Uh, you know, that particular uh, area that was targeted, uh, uh, talked of as a, as a, described as a slum, as a blighted area. Um, you know, there was trash that uh, stopped being picked up to uh, sort of uh, make that case even stronger so they could be condemned. Uh, but, you know, in some people's eyes, it was a way of sort of removing that element, uh, Mexicans or people of color or poor people from a increasing downtown area that really wanted to attract tourists and wanted to have a certain kind of image of a modern city that these adobe-style architecture houses didn't fit into. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the story. So then I read Lydia Otero's book, Dr. Otero, a professor here at the University of Arizona. She actually gave me that book, and I read it, like, within a few days. It's It's a, you know, it's just riveting her ability to uncover of all this history and all the sort of um, dealings and decisions that were made at the highest levels of city government, uh, along with the testimonials of the actual residents that were affected. And uh, so it was sort of a combination of all that. And then this desire to do theater in a very different way that would hopefully attract new theater goers, younger theater goers, and people of color, Hispanics, who don't traditionally go to the theater. And as uh, like any theater company in the country right now, uh, our traditional audiences are, are literally dying off and uh, they need to re- be replaced with another audience or the theaters are going to die. And, you know, living here in Tucson uh, and, and on the cusp of becoming the new director at that time, I thought, well, how are we going to get more Latinos to come to the theater? And so I, there was a grant a theater communications grant for $50,000 that wanted you to pose a question or a challenge and use that money to try to solve that challenge. And so that was our question. How do we get Latinos to come? The the hypothesis that we're testing is, well, maybe if we tell their stories and if we tell them in a place 
that resonates with them, with its charge, with history and meaning to them, and then uh, try to do all that for free or very low cost, maybe we'll get them to come out. And so that's that's where we're at. What is this new way? Where where can people see this performance? So we'll be performing on the outdoor plaza of the Tucson Convention Center. So the Convention Center, most people think of it as the there's the big arena building. There's also the Leo Rich Theater and the Music Hall. So in between those three buildings is a rather large plaza uh, with a lot of architecture by um, the ECBO, the architect that designed it, that creates a lot of different platforms, uh, different elevations throughout the space. There's a water fountain, a pretty large-scale water fountain that's currently empty that also provides a lot of very interesting playing spaces. And so it's a site-specific production in the sense that, and that just means that we go to the site and as theater makers, we we sort of investigate it for all its potential theatricality. And then we sort of adapt the acting and the blocking, the staging and the set to the environment that we're in. So we're sort of organically playing within that environmental space. So the... I mean, the beauty of it is that that as you go see this show, you'll be standing right in the space where this history that we're being told uh, took place. And so it is a way of also sort of reclaiming that space um, and also using that space as a space of civic engagement and dialogue uh, and a place to to remember, to acknowledge, to validate and to celebrate um, the, the the production body of stories is. It certainly does cover that chapter of the removal and the demolition of, of these houses and the displacement of families, but it just as much, if not more, covers uh, all the memories of what that place used to be before that construction. Uh, as I said, it was around for about 100 years, and uh, you know, community celebrations, uh, all kinds of different sort of feast days and festivals and, and bands that would play and plaza cinemas and going that that was something uh, that people told us a lot about and getting a cookie at Ronquillo's Bakery after every Saturday and these rituals the different kinds of cooking and sleeping outside in the summers all all this stuff is is uh as part of our heritage here in Tucson and um we we need to remember it Leslie Cree how did you get involved in this project and what is your role I got involved when Mark reached out to me um, specifically about working with my Pima Community College theater students to do a lot of the scenic production work for Barrio Stories. Um, I had approached him sometime last semester, four or five months ago, saying, you know, I'm in this position now where I'm teaching scene design and stagecraft for the theater department at Pima. I have great students who want to be exposed to theater outside of their own program, even though they're fully involved in their awesome program there. I just wanted to see if I could kind of create more of a bridge to the outside theater scene for them. And he came back to me a few weeks later with a proposal to um, jump on Barrio Stories as the scenic designer. And then I involve my students in that process, which they have been. It's been challenging and fascinating and inspiring. Um, uh, many things at once taking on this this particular project. And, and if I could say, I think that it was a, a, such a perfect fit uh, to have Wesley as, a, as an instructor at Pima take on the project because the way uh, I'll just backtrack a little bit so 
the way that the script was created, we interviewed several uh, individuals, elders that were residents of that neighborhood before the demolition. So they're you know in their 80s now. We did that through a class that we taught at Pima Community College uh, Desert Vista campus last year. High school students in the Upward Bound program there took a class for college credit with an ethnographer, anthropologist from the University of Arizona. They taught them fieldwork techniques and ethnographic interview techniques. So they collected the oral histories from about 11 individuals. These were about two-hour interviews. All of these were audio and video recorded and then transcribed. And then those transcriptions, about 100 pages worth, a little more than that, were sent to three playwrights. Elaine Romero, who's based here in Tucson, teaches at the university uh, and has been a playwright for many, many years and uh, lots and lots of credits to her name. Martin Zimmerman, uh, based out of Chicago, just finished uh, writing some episodes of the Narcos television show. Um, and then uh, Virginia Grice, originally from San Antonio, now based in New York, queer Chicana playwright, uh, really rising star as well. And so they took all this transcripts and all of uh, Dr. Otero's research information from her book. It was extensive, and with all of this information and photos and videos of old movies of the demolition, created five scripts. Four of those are short vignettes that are fairly traditional, linear, plot-driven script. And then uh, Virginia Grice's script is called 20 Memory Fragments. And so while the other two playwrights created fictional stories based, inspired by this history, Virginia Grice sifted through all the pages of transcripts, found common themes throughout the different interviews, and grouped them together. And so her script is word for word from the transcripts. So these are the words of the residents themselves. And they talk about, a, you know, di all different types of themes of, like, foods and cooking practices and music and celebrations. Because of the nature of the way that this, especially with Virginia Grice's, she has these 20 fragments, so there are 20 different little worlds that need to be created. Uh, it, it meant we ended up with 41 actors, but it also meant that we had all these little sets that needed to be created, which I think for one person or even a team of three or four people would have just been impossible. So it was really, um, you know, I don't want to call it coincidence because I don't really believe in that, but it is certainly fate that, you know, Wesley and I, our paths cro had crossed a couple years ago and we'd done a couple small projects that sort of built up to this. And she had just started teaching at Pima and it was like, she's like, I can make it a class project. And I mean, it was like easier said than done. I mean, there's other <laughs> things that come up, but I think overall, you know, um, you know, I mean, did you think your students learned some things? And Oh yeah, they, they got exposed to all sorts of different things, not only like new theater techniques and new types of scripts and a uh, new type of production, but also new histories that a lot of them weren't very familiar with, even though some of them go back in, in Tucson for a while, for f several generations. So it's kind of digging up that history again, which it had already sort of come up on my radar because largely in part because Dr. Otero's book had started circulating around my community of friends. So I was kind of becoming more and more aware of the history of Tucson's downtown around the same time, you know, over the last couple of years. So, yeah, it was this great synchronicity for me, too, just like I like to do 
you know, community projects and this project from a scenic design standpoint has been able to engage lots of different communities, not just my Pima uh, students, but also students from Linda Cato's art classes at Changemaker High School, uh, communities of my friends. <laughs> my, my friend community has jumped in here and there, too. So just every element of this production has just brought in so many different community players. Yeah, and I, I think that, that, you know, aside from, uh, you know, uh, making this history more accessible, uh, I think the other really big success that I, I feel very proud of is that cross-sector partnerships, uh, so many that we've been able to employ for this project over the two-year period that it's been in development. Uh, you know, I've mentioned... Pima College, uh, two different campuses. Uh, Wesley talked about Changemaker High School. Pueblo High School uh, Theater Department is supplying uh, some of our principal actors. I had some auditions there. There were some roles for teens. We also have uh, the participation of Los Descendientes del Presidio de Tucson, which are sort of descendants of founding families here. Uh, they're uh, filling some of the extras roles. Uh, we have about 30 40 extras of multi-generational that represent the people of that barrio that sort of persist through the space several times throughout the performance. And then, you know, the, the participation of the historical society, not only, uh, you know, their, their photographs and historical documents as well, but letting us use their facilities at the Sosa Carrillo Fremont House, their, you know, PA systems and chairs, and, you know, really, really excited about bringing this history to life and doing everything that they can with the resources that they have to try to help make this happen. And, of course, the convention center itself, which, you know, was a little bit of a sell initially, and certainly still some vestiges of, like, this isn't going to be as, like a witch hunt or, like, a, a shaming thing, right? And, and, you know, once we explained what the project was really more about a celebration of the history... And as it developed and became more concrete, um, I, I have to give my hats off. They've really worked with us to keep our costs down, knowing it's a community-based uh, donation event. Like I said, just so many people, so many entities, civic, state-level, educational, and community-based, partnering with professional artists and designers to create, like you said, something that I, I don't think anything like this has ever been done in Tucson before. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today are Mark David Pinate. He's the producing director of Borderlands Theater and the director and lead artist for Barrio Stories. Also with us today is Wesley Cree. She's the scenic designer for Barrio Stories. And these performances are coming right around the corner. How do people see this performance? So uh, they're taking place March 3rd through the 6th. That's a Thursday through Sunday at the convention center on the outdoor plaza. The 3rd and the 4th, they start at 10 a.m. And on the 5th and the 6th, they start at 11 a.m. You just show up. We're not taking any reservations. We can accommodate a fairly large crowd of up to about 1,200 people a day. It's a donation-based event. There's a $10 suggested donation, but really... No one will be turned away for lack of funds. And uh, it's mostly important that we get people just to come out and see this. That's how they can see it. Bring some water. Bring a hat. You know, we are in the desert. It's probably going to be pretty sunny. That's so, so, so far, that's what the projections are. Bring an adventurous attitude. As you enter the space, you'll be given a map, and you'll be assigned to a, a color-coded group, and that'll help you uh, sort of 
traverse the the landscape of three main stages and about 15 uh, performance installations all sprinkled throughout that plaza. There'll be food vendors, there'll be an art boot tent, uh, there'll be an audio recording station uh, to record your own memories of the of the barrio or your reflections to the to the play and then there's a big party at the end after each performance featuring mariachi and baile folklorico youth ensembles from all around Tucson and these uh, interactive activities that I just described i think one of the other sort of motivating factors behind this project was to make this history more accessible cuz uh, as i said you know Lidio Otero's book, La Calle, is the title of it. Unless, you know, you're signed up into a MAS class at the university, you're probably not going to really know about it. And the information there is important uh, because, as you know, we all know, it's important to know where you come from. It's important to know who came before you and, and sort of where your roots are. And I think that uh, a sense of belonging is critical to to an individual's success in life. I think if you feel like you belong to a certain place, that you have a, a space there that that has has a history and that there are people that came before you and people that are going to come after you and you're part of this longer sort of cycle of humanity and of history and of contributions and 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 traditions and heritage you know i think uh, uh there's a lot of young people that probably don't realize that downtown used to have this you know center of commerce and and liveliness and and celebration that was made up of mostly mexican americans chinese americans and uh some natives and african americans as well and i think having a, a concept of that history and of that your place within it can only benefit young people well i once heard that for every three people who come to Tucson to go away, so we also have a very transient community. There's a lot of culture and stories to take in, and not everybody gets it all right away. Yeah. Something that I find interesting about the timing of this particular production is that this is my 11th year in Tucson, and my dad grew up here, so I spent my childhood coming here to visit family. Um, so Tucson's a place I'm I'm pretty familiar with, and pretty connected to at this point, but I, I've i noticed in the last few years, downtown has just changed at a rapid pace, that before that it hadn't really been changing much at all, let alone so so much so quickly. So I, I think that's one thing that's really interesting to me about the timing of this production, to talk about this moment in Tucson's history where downtown changed again quite rapidly. There's an interesting parallel there where we're looking at, again, you know, downtown Tucson is transforming itself. Uh, this is a great time to kind of go back and see what we want to do differently or more mindfully this time around and and try to make sure this time everyone's included in the conversation. That's Yeah, that's a great point. And um and I think that that's why we wanted to have these sort of interactive elements at the end of the show. So, you know, the first part of it, sort of the first couple hours of it, is the formal performance. And and uh, and I do want to say, you know, it's very different from your typical, like, going to the theater. You sort of sit in this dark area, and then there's the stage that's lit, and you sort of are anonymously in the dark, passively receiving 
The difference here is that instead of sitting back in the dark, you are actually walking through the world of the play, and you have a map and you have decisions to make, like what's my path that I'm going to take to view these different uh, performance installations, what's, what order, and different people will see them in a different order, and they'll get a slightly different show. And I think uh, that it's kind of like walking through a museum of statues that sort of come to life and reenact moments of history. There's a giant puppet show at the end with giant puppets. One of the vignettes uh, written by Elaine Romero is based on uh, the southwestern folk tale of the young maiden that goes to the dance against her parents' wishes and finds the most handsome man there and dances all night and then at the end of the night looks down to see he's got rooster's feet uh, and then he's the devil and he takes her away. And so that metaphor was used as uh, casting the woman as La Calle and the, the, uh, the handsome stranger as urban renewal movement. All of this is really designed to uh, make people more active sort of participants in the theater process. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see how that, how that works out. And Virginia Grease's 20 Fragments script, it ends with the last fragment is kind of a papel picado installation where people are writing down their their visions for for downtown and what they think a downtown should be and look and feel like and stringing them all up together as a public installation. The whole production in itself is really trying to empower the public, the Tucson public to be part of a decision making process that's going on um, but to be involved in it. It's it's a very ambitious pursuit and it's a huge experiment. We're excited to see how it turns out next week. And then I guess the last thing I I will just offer is uh you know I think that artists really offer um you know alternative ways of of not only providing a a, a respite sort of from our daily stress of life but I think also uh, alternate strategies for encountering each other for creating dialogue and for doing a little bit of problem solving and just how do we live together in better ways, right? And, uh, and so this is really an attempt to do that as well. One of the things I've noticed about the area is I don't think that the convention center has ever been as successful as the founders would have hoped it to be. And the real estate immediately south of there is some of the most valuable real estate in the community. To me, there's always been an irony to that. Yeah, you know, um, there's folks from the very beginning, right, that uh, once the displacement occurred that, you know, just vowed never to step foot on it. Um, And even to this day, 50 years later, uh, you know, I did went around to the neighborhood associations nearby, just let them know what, what we were doing. And, you know, there's one gentleman that, you know, told me, you know, my granddaughter has shows at the Leo Rich and I don't even go see those. You know, it's a graveyard to me. You know, there's, there's a major trauma that happened there. Um, and so I do think, you know, some people say it's cursed. Friends I have whose their parents work uh, as custodians there. And at night, they're always reporting ghosts, goings-ons and and whatnot. But, uh, but I do think that that exists there, right? That, that this sort of, uh, as you said, right, that hasn't been as successful. And so, uh, you know, this is something that for the TCC, they don't often have, they have things inside their buildings, but they don't have things outside that are sort of like open to anyone to just sort of walk in without a ticket. And I and I hope that, you know, this may um, 
usher in uh, other groups doing that. I mean, if it goes successfully, I'm, I'm sure we'd like to come back there again and do more events there. And I think this might be a step into sort of normalizing some of those uh, attitudes about it. If uh, the community is allowed to come in there from time to time and really do their thing in the way that they want to do it, unfettered by, you know, a lot of these sort of kind of more corporate policies of how the, the, the centers run, you know, I think it's really a step in the right direction. That's been one of the fascinating things about doing the scenic design is utilizing the space and everything that it offers. Um, it's very kind of rigid and imposing and geometric and very concrete, um, uh, the space, and to kind of use those very inorganic forms to breathe some life back into them. Uh, that's kind of been my main challenge and main focus uh, with the scenic design is you know, how do I make this commentary? How how do I have a conversation with the space itself uh, in terms of, you know, speaking to the fact that it once was much more of a living, breathing space with families and culture, kind of winding all through that area. How do I take these now very, like, large concrete slabs and breathe life back into them? So in a way, we're where we're celebrating the beauty that was there. And there's there's mourning too, but we're trying to focus on, on the celebration and, and the healing that could possibly go on with the project. One, one of the cool things also about doing uh, a show in a very public outdoor space like that is that um, your rehearsals are kind of open to the public. Uh, we did start in, a, in our own rehearsal space in the first couple of weeks, and we were inside of a big room. But at a certain point, I mean, we needed to go to the space uh, and, and actually utilize that architecture and those different levels and figure out the entrances. And, uh, you know, we'll go on the weekends and there's other events going on. And, and certainly when we're working the giant puppets, it's a showstopper. Everybody has to stop and, and sort of their, their mouths open, literally, and uh, are really impressed. But then there's like the the secret grill and nighttime uh, rehearsals that we do on weeknights. Uh, a lot of our actors have day jobs, and so we're on weekends and week and weeknights is when our rehearsals are. And you know we bring in our own work lights. We light up an area. It's kind of like a like a film set almost. Security comes through. The, it's cool because you feel like it's a gorilla thing, but it's like we actually have permission, so it's like the best of both worlds. Um, but we'll be doing choreographing uh, uh, moves in some of the empty pools or jumping up on, on some of the planters and some of the higher levels. Uh, and there'll be anywhere from, you know, five or six to 14 or 15 people out there until about sometimes until about 10 at night. Um, and uh, it's kind of fun. It's different. I've never, you know, something I've never directed something like that before. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My name is Amanda Schager. Our guests today have been Mark David Pinate, Producing Director of Borderlands Theater and Director of Barrio Stories. Also with us today was Wesley Cree, Scenic Director for Barrio Stories. The performances are taking place March 3rd and 4th at 10 a.m. and March 5th and 6th at 11 a.m. at the Tucson Convention Center. More information is available at barriastories.org or borderlandstheater.org. Thanks for having us. It was great. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Viejo barrio, barrio viejo.
solo en lugares parejos donde un día hubo casa donde vivió nuestra raza solo quedan los escombros de los hogares felices de las alegres 